So I am a sucker for a good story. I love stories. I always have. Like I, I, I don't care if it's like just a simple children's story or if it's like some epic saga. Like, give me just a little bit of time and I can get hooked. And my, my parents used to tease me all the time because like, I could read a storybook in the living room, like surrounded by my five siblings, like just in chaos, and I could just be in my story. I know to be fair, I did my fair share of causing chaos too, but, but when it's story time, I'm all in. Right? And that, that's continued even now, like when we're doing bedtime and my kids are listening to a story, like I can like linger and like just get hooked in whatever story they're listening to and like I could just sit in there and listen to the story with them and fall asleep on the floor or something. Right? But I just, I love stories. And that really, that's what we're doing in this sermon series. We're looking at the stories that Jesus told. How we call them the parables, right? That he used stories to teach. And really, in my opinion, like that's the best way to learn something, right? Just listen to a great story and at the end be like, oh, I learned something, right? And Jesus, Jesus was the best at this. Right? He told stories to illustrate truths and, and teach us the incredible things about who he was and God's kingdom and all of that. And the parable we're looking at today is, is just that. It's the parable of the king's banquet. It's a parable that I've, I've heard many times. Maybe you have as well. Right? And it's really easy just to, to jump into the story and be like, oh, this is, this is great, right? Because it, it's, it's the banquet. It's the invitation of everybody, good and bad, like get invited in, undeserving. Right? It's the gospel message. Right? It's this awesome truth that, that nobody's too far gone to be invited into God's kingdom and it's great. And then that's all true. But oftentimes I think in my familiarity with this story, I can just kind of rush to the good part of the story and skip over all the rest. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this today because I think there's a lot we can learn uh, and some things that, that oftentimes I, I skip over. But before we get to that, we also have to just look at what was happening when Jesus told this parable, Right? Who was Jesus telling the parable to? Who was listening? What was happening? Because right? this parable happened in the midst of, of Passion Week, right? This is after Jesus' triumphal entry, but, and obviously before he died on the cross, right? But in the midst of that week, this is when Jesus is, is teaching. In fact, the day before Jesus is teaching this parable is the day that he went into the temple and flipped tables and drove out all the money changers. So Jesus does that, and then the next day he comes back in and he's, he's teaching these parables. And so you can imagine that uh, the listeners weren't that excited to listen to him. Right? Because at this point, the religious leaders already were, were fed up with Jesus. And they knew as they listened to these parables, they listened to these stories that, that Jesus was talking about them. And they didn't like it. So let's look at, at this parable that Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention 
and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Yikes. <laughs> this is one of those times where you're like, whoa, Jesus, like tone it down a little bit. Right? No wonder the religious leaders want to kill you. Right? This is, you know, because Jesus, aren't you supposed to be like that, that loving God who, who just cares for everybody? Right? Aren't you, aren't you the, the Savior, you know, baby Jesus born in a manger? You just, you, you love. So what, what's up with this story? Right? Because that's, that's the, the, the world's view of Jesus, right? Jesus, our best friend who loves, loves everybody. God who is gentle and kind and compassionate. You see, the problem is those, those are all true, but they're only partial truths, right? And so, again, oftentimes in our, and when we come to passages like this, we can quickly read and be like, oh, here's the good news. Like, look, he invites everybody in. It's great. And then we just kind of want to skip over those parts where he goes to the people who, like, refuse the invite and kill his messengers. He just goes and destroys their city and kills them all. And then at the end, in the banquet, when there's the guy not dressed appropriately, he throws him out, but he doesn't just kick him out. He buy, has, him, has him bound hand and foot and thrown out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? That, doesn't, that doesn't always mesh up with the, the Jesus that we want to think about. Because right? I think overall, I think often as we, ha- we have this problem where we kind of we kind of simplify God and, and, and we not only simplify him, but then we, we break it down to two different gods, right? There's the God of the Old Testament. Right? The God of the Old Testament is the one who's out to like destroy and kill. Like he's a wrathful, vengeful God who, you know, when, when you disobey him, he's, he's, he's smiting, whatever smiting is, right? That's what he does. He smites things. He's, 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 he's just this, so there's some crazy, God is just this mean like vindictive God. That's the Old Testament. But then you get to the New Testament, we have Jesus. And it's this loving Savior, Jesus. And so we, we contrast these two things, right? We have this Old Testament God and this New Testament God. But the problem is that, that the Bible teaches us about God. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are one story put together to, un- to help us understand who God is. And he reveals himself to us through his word. And it's all about the same God. There's not two different gods. God didn't like have a change of heart and, and we see something different in the New Testament. It's consistent throughout. God is loving and gentle and kind, but he's also holy, perfect, and set apart and deserving of all glory. 
that is who God is. And so as we read the Old Testament, it's easy to see God's holiness on display, right? There's, there's all these times where people come face to face with God and they, they're, they're filled with fear and trembling and they, they collapse, right? And uh, Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. God is king above all kings. He's, he's in complete control. He's sovereign. And when people come face to face with that God, they, they, when they catch a glimpse of the glory of God, the holiness of God, they collapse. And there's account after account. As you read through the Old Testament, you see this happen time and time again. One of my favorites is Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, has this vision of God in the temple. What's his response? His response is, woe is me. For I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. Right? Typically, people's response, they just collapse as if dead. And the holiness of God. And so that part's easy for us to see as we read through the Old Testament. We see that again and again. The, the challenge is for us as we read the Old Testament to also see in the stories the, the gentle, loving Savior. The love of God. It's there. But sometimes we just get so caught up in the other side. And then the same is true of the New Testament. When we read through the New Testament, that not only do we see the gentle, loving Savior, but we also see the holiness of God portrayed. And that's the challenge as we read through Scripture to, to get the full picture. That's actually uh, coming up at the end of January. That's why we're doing walk through the Bible. We're doing walk through the Old Testament. We're in a Saturday morning. We're going to go through the Old Testament and, and get the, the big overview picture. What does the, the Old Testament teach us? How do we see Jesus in all the stories of the Old Testament? So if you haven't already, we encourage you to sign up. In fact, Wednesday is the deadline to sign up. So if you're thinking about it, get signed up. But as we read the New Testament again, we see the holiness of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, and we're told to worship God with awe and reverence. And it says this, for our God is a consuming fire. The holiness of God is perfect and it, it affects everything around. It. Now, I, I told you I love stories, but here's one of the other things I love. I love fires. Right? Like, not in like a dangerous, irresponsible way, but I, I love having campfires. Right? And so when, when we moved into our house, we, we put a fire pit right in the front by our driveway. And I love to sit out there with my kids and we, we have fires like all the time. Like, winter doesn't matter. Like we've got wood preps, we're probably gonna have one this week. Right? We love to sit around the fire, and I love to just sit and watch fires. Right? Because it's really interesting to watch, right? Is is the fire is it burns the wood and, and fire consumes everything, right? Every piece of wood and paper that's ever gone into my fire pit is gone. Right? But it also transforms everything else. The 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 stones that we use to build our fire pit, the limestone rocks, right? After seven years of fires, like, they're all like red and black and like starting to crack and break from all the fires, from the heat as it just affects everything. And my kids also like to watch shows, so they've like found a piece of rebar and they'll like put it in there and then like take it out and try to hammer it into a blade. So far it's bent, that's all they've accomplished, right? But, but even then the fire, like not only does it consume everything, but it, it, it transforms everything. Everything is affected by the fire. 
Right? And that's, that's how the Bible describes God, that the holiness of God, when we come in contact with God, we are transformed. Nothing escapes that. And that's how the Bible portrays the holiness of God. You see, and so we have this problem where, where we, we have this view of Jesus just being this loving Savior, and yet then we read a parable like this and we see these harsh responses. Right? Well, the loving God that I always heard about, he wouldn't like go out and burn and destroy a city just because people refused his message. Right? And then when the people come to the wedding banquet, there's the guy dressed inappropriately, you know, doesn't he get a second chance, right? But no, he gets tossed out. And it just seems that there's this harsh conflict, right? Because it, it comes in, into conflict with some of my limited understanding of who God is. Because this parable shows us not just the loving God that, that we like to cling to, but the holy God. Because God and Jesus is all in one. Right? This perfect, holy God who is set apart and yet loves us incredibly. And the reality is, as we understand the holiness of God more, it, it brings into sharper focus the incredible reality of his love for us. Because as we understand the holiness of God, we realize how far apart we are from that. We, reality, we realize the depths of our sin. And that brings into much clearer focus the incredible gift that grace is to us. So let's look at this parable. Because as we look at this parable, there's, there's, there's three things I, I want us to, to pull out from this, this passage, from this little story. As we understand this perfect, loving, and holy God. And he describes what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says the kingdom of heaven is like this, this king who has a banquet. And this isn't just a banquet. This is, this is his son's wedding feast. This incredible feast, and he sends the invite out. And as he sends the invite out, what happens to the people who are invited? Right, first, they, they just ignore the response. They just don't respond. So he sends them out again. He's like, no, seriously. Like, the, the feast is ready, this royal wedding feast. Like, everything's ready to go. All we need is you to show up. Come. And it says some people ignored it, and they just went off. One guy goes off to his field. Another heads off to work. But then it says that some of them then, like, abused and then killed the messengers. Now, those seem like two very, very different responses, right? There's the people who just ignore the messenger and the ones who, who kill the messenger, right? And again, this is like one of those like weird stories that Jesus telling you, like, okay, I, I can understand like ignoring the messenger. Like somebody comes like, hey, come to the wedding feast. And you're like, no, thanks, which seems like a dumb response anyways, right? Like come to this free royal banquet. And you're like, no, I'm going to go to work, right? That part, you're like, hard to believe, but... You know, okay, it kind of makes sense. But then there's the other people who's like, hey, come to this royal banquet. It's like, no, I'm just going to kill you instead, right? Like, it just seems out of place. And it seems like two completely different responses. Right? But the reality that we see in this passage is that here's the deal with the invitation that God gives. The invitation requires a response. The invitation requires a response. We can't just ignore it. Because here's the deal, the people who just ignored the response, 
get the same reaction as those who killed the messengers. Do you notice that? The people who just ignored the response and went off to work are lumped in and they're destroyed with their city just like the ones who attacked the messengers. Because here's the reality I want you guys to see that ignoring the response is a response. You see, that's, that's something that we don't always like. Right? Because we want to just ignore the, the invitation. We just want to ignore it and be like, well, well, we'll get to it. I'll deal with it later. Right? I'm, I'm not going to deal with the invitation now. I'll deal with it later because whatever. But I'll deal with it later. But, but ignoring the invitation is a response. It's a denial of the invitation. And really, I think the reason that we, we come to that and so many people fall into that, that boat of saying, well, I'm just going to ignore the invitation is because at the core, we don't believe the messenger. Because if we believe the messenger, then we, we, we truly respond. And think, of it, think of it this way. My son Theodore is eight. And if Theodore came running up to me with a paper bag and shoved it in my hand and said, Dad, take care of this bag. There's a million dollars in it and took off. What do you think I'm going to do with that paper bag? And whatever, I'm going to set it down. I don't, I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to really believe that he's handed me a million dollars to watch over, right? I'm just going to, whatever. Okay, but slightly different scenario. I'm sitting in my front yard around a fire, and all of a sudden this like black Escalade pulls up. This guy comes out in a suit with his briefcase like handcuffed to his hand. He walks over, takes the keys out, unhooks it, hands me the briefcase, says, please watch over us. This is a million dollars. I'll be back to get it. And he takes off. I've watched enough movies to know there's probably a million dollars in there. <laughs> right? Like, I'm going to believe the messenger. Slightly. I, I, I'm, I'm giving him different credit. Right? Two different people ask me to watch over a million dollars that I can't see, and I'm believing one and not believing another. Right? And I think the reality is at the core of the invitation that God gives us, I think the reason that so many of us ignore that response is because we don't believe the messenger. We don't believe that, that the message that God's giving us is true. And Jesus was pretty clear about who he was and what he was all about. As you read through the Gospels, as you read through the things that Jesus said, he wasn't, he wasn't pulling any punches. He wasn't hiding who he was. He claimed to be the Son of God. And he was clear about why he was born. He came to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he came to die on a cross as a sacrifice for us. That's who he was. That's what he came for. Because apart from Jesus' death on the cross, there is no invitation for us because our sin condemns us to eternity apart from God. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the invitation is given to us, and really it's, it's then in our hands, do we believe the messenger or not? Because when we ignore the response, it is a response. Because the invitation requires, it demands a response. And when we reject the invitation, 
Here's the scary reality. God is loving. And when we reject his invitation, God loves us enough to give us what we want. And he gives us an eternity separated from him. That's the reality of the gospel message. But since this initial invitation was ignored, a second invite's given. And here's where it gets to the good part. Like, this is the part that we like about the story, right? All right, we get past the whole, the king then wipes out the city. But then he tells his messengers, like, hey, we've got a feast ready to go. We just need people. So go out and invite anybody. And so the messengers go out. And I love it. Verse 8 says, they go out and they find and invite both the good and the bad. Everybody's invited to the wedding feast, right? This is the part of the gospel message that we love, right? That nobody's too far gone. Good and bad are all invited, right? We're invited to the royal feast. It's not about me because I'm part of some royal family. No, it's, it's I just happen to be a guy on the street that was invited in. Not on my own merit. Right, the good news of the gospel is that, that all of us who thought we were good enough but just not quite there, it doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're undeserving, and yet we're still invited. And at the same time, all of us who think that we are too far gone, that there's no hope for us, it doesn't matter. We're still invited. The invitation goes out to everyone because we're all undeserving. No one is too far gone. No one has done enough good to earn it. So whichever end of the spectrum you think you're on, it doesn't matter. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who deserves good, not even one. No one is deserving no one is righteous. None of us can get in on our own merit. No one, none of us have any credentials that are going to get us in. And yet the beauty of the gospel message is because of Jesus, because of who God is and his incredible love for us, he reconciled us to himself. He made a way. He came to rescue us and invites us in. Right? Just like all those random peasants who get invited in, both good and bad. Hey, come to the wedding feast. We're all invited in. That's what we love, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the good news. That's the, that's the hope that we cling to. But then we come to the, the, this third point, though. Because as, as this second invitation goes out, there's still this reality. And this third point is that we still have to respond. Now, I know some of you are taking notes and paying really good attention. You're like, you just reworded the first point. That's true. Because the invitation still requires a response. Because all are invited, come as you are, but we don't stay the same. Because 
the question is, how do we respond to that invitation? Right? The, the first invite goes out and people reject it. The second invite goes out and, and all these people come to the banquet. But the, the question is, what, how do we respond to the invite? We still have to respond. We still are, are called to come. And then we come to this really feels like confusing part. It's always the part where I just want to stop reading this parable, right? Where the, the king comes into the wedding banquet and there's the guy who's not wearing a wedding garment. And the king goes, how did you get in not wearing a wedding garment? The guy is speechless. And he gets tossed out. And not just thrown up, but, but bound and tossed out. What's going on? This Again, where's our loving Jesus? Didn't you just invite everybody in? So why is this guy now kicked out? And what's happening here? Again, it's, it's that we still have to respond. I think in this, this parable, the, the wedding garments, it's, it's the righteousness, right? And, and we know from that, that second invitation, right? None of us have righteousness on our own. None of us measure up to the holiness of God. And yet as God sends that invitation, he gives us his righteousness. That, that the response to the invitation, there's still a, a, an issue where we have to respond. There's a point where we have to, to call on the name of Jesus. We have to surrender our lives to him. We have to, <clears throat> we have to recognize that, that we don't have it on our own. We need Jesus. And have you ever done that? Have you ever called on the name of Jesus and surrendered your life to him and said, God, I, I, I know I can't do this on my own. I don't have it in myself. I'm, I know that I'm not good enough. I'll never live up to your standard. I need you. Jesus, take over. That's the response that is required. If you've been around Hope Church for any period of time, you've probably heard Pastor Matt at least once compare this to a wedding, right? Where the, 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 the husband and wife as, as part of the wedding ceremony exchange vows to one another. And they commit to one another. And, and Jesus did that for us on the cross. When he died, he said, I love you this much. And he gave his life to us. And so many people just attend a wedding and be like, hey, I'm, I'm here at the wedding. But the response to the invitation is to, to echo that commitment. It's like Jesus loved us enough that he gave his life for us. Do we give our lives to him? Do we, co do we commit to him? And I think what we see in this story is here's a guy who just, he was along with the crowd. The invitation to come to the party comes and he just, he shows up. And he never called on the name of the Lord. 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, things begin to change. Our response to the invitation is that our lives begin to be transformed and changed to become like Jesus. We come as we are. Nobody's too far gone. Doesn't matter what your life has been like in the past. Doesn't matter what you've done. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he loves us and welcomes us in. And then he calls us to, to be 
transformed, to be changed, right? Not in, a, not in, a, in an effort to earn God's love, because right? the reality of the gospel is that we could never do that. None of us could ever live a good enough life. But in response to God's love for us, we begin to show our love for him in the way that we treat others. Because God loves me, I'm gonna live differently. My life begins to reflect the Savior that I love. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, my life begins to change. I begin to transform. I begin to look like a different person because I'm living through the power of the Holy Spirit, a new resurrected life that was given to me by Jesus. My response to the invitation requires repentance. When I turn from my own ways, when I turn from my own power and my own will and I surrender to Jesus. You see, all the other people at the wedding, they took off their old clothes and they changed into the new ones that were given them. And this guy didn't. He just was with the crowd. I think many people are like this man. They, they, they follow the crowd. They're, they're hoping that they're, they're just in by association, right? That, well, my family's all, all good, so I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of riding the coattails of, of the people I'm with, right? My, my parents, they're, they're such great people. Or my family is good people. Or, or, you know, you can get people go as vague as like, well, I'm, you know, I'm from the Midwest, you know, this is God's country, this is Iowa, right? Like we, we start to expand that out, but it's still all the same principle, right? That it's, it's on somebody else's credit. But the reality of the gospel message is the invitation is for you. How do you respond? Have you ever responded? Because the, the choice is yours. Jesus has given us an invitation. What's your response? Do you just ignore it? Do you just wait and I'll deal with it later? Or I'll just, I'm just gonna trust my luck with, with my family? Or do we take the response of surrender? And we repent and we turn from our old ways and we come to Jesus. And we acknowledge that he did what we could never do. And he loved us in a way that we don't even fully comprehend. And we give our lives to him. What's the choice? What are you gonna do with Jesus and the invitation he's given? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though you are a holy God, perfect and set apart and and, and in a way that we don't even, we can't even understand. God, you love us. And you love us perfectly and completely. And God, you loved us enough that, that even though we were separated from you by our own sin, you sent your son to rescue us to live the life that we couldn't live, to die in our place and to become the perfect sacrifice that makes us right with you. 
Jesus, we thank you for that gift. We, we pray that we would never get over it, that we, it would never become ordinary or mundane, but that we would be in awe of what you have done for us. And God, we pray that, that our response would be of surrender. And whether that's a response that we've made years ago or, or maybe it's something we're wrestling with today, God, our prayer, God, we pray that we would just surrender to you. That we would learn to walk in obedience to you. That we would give you control. Jesus, we love you. Amen.